This is the Rose Woman Podcast, provocations for living whole, happy, and free your entire life long. I'm your host, Christine Marie Mason, mama, founder, philosopher, author, basically a human who's interested in helping people love their lives more and be in more peace and purpose and power. Today, I'm talking the third part of healing collective trauma, a lot on the disconnection from nature as a fundamental break and on the real meaning of spirituality. I do not get into pathological religiosity, which is a whole nother topic, trying to stay positive here. But I hope you will find something in here that helps you move to liberation in one sphere of your life, if not multiple spheres. We can do this, and we don't have to do it alone. This is part three of healing collective trauma. And it wasn't intended this way, but this week's episode happened to coincide with a one-week refresher course with one of my core teachers, Thomas Hubel. And I am humbled at the amount of learning I still have to do, even after a decade of being in the work. And at the same time, I couldn't be more convinced that it's the most important work we can do to heal the world. For example, today he reiterated a point that he has made many times throughout the course of our training on how without examining our stories, there is no possibility for a future. There is only destiny. That if we don't become aware of the stories that we carry and the patterns we carry, we're just copy-pasting, as he says, the past into the present and repeating it over and over in our own lives, in our families, in the culture, and across the generations. That's how we get such an ongoing replication of particular human emotional patterns that aren't that much different today in many respects as they were when Shakespeare was writing his plays or why so many of the stories in the Bible and other ancient texts are so universally true. Generation after generation, we copy-paste the present into the future uh, without examining it. So if you want a future that's full of new possibility, you don't want to be just a code replicator, then you have to come into feeling and witnessing in a new way. It's something that you might begin doing the work for just to feel better in yourself. Maybe you're sick and tired of certain relationship patterns or of holding so tightly to yourself, trying to control your world or accomplish something or be productive, or maybe you carry social anxiety, or maybe you numb yourself out or dissociate. And at some point, you're just like, I want to feel better. And that instinct that you have a hint that there's a way to be a little more free is the whisper of your future self calling you. So go ahead and do it just to feel better. And know that even while you're doing that, that each of us doing the work 
to change our response to triggers and experiences in the world from reactivity to response capacity is the creation of a new future for all of us. It's the foundation of how we shift human conflict and how we will eventually gain the sensitivity to shift our economic systems and our production systems that really take advantage of the earth. So if you begin to heal yourself and repattern and witness yourself, it is exactly how consciousness evolves collectively. Doing it for yourself is doing it for the planet. Now, one thing as we begin these processes of witnessing and feeling things that we've held in our bodies for a very long time, you might notice a desire to replicate the race to the finish mentality that we carry in so many other ways. Be the fastest, be the 30 under 30, be the child prodigy, get it done quickly. But that's just not how this particular delicate and precise process seems to work. You cannot be any farther along than you are. And the idea that you should know you should be somewhere else is just another way to bludgeon yourself out of the present moment, to wish yourself out of the present moment. So the first thing we're going to do right here and now is say, I am going to begin to feel and witness my patterns and uncomfortable things only at the pace that I can digest them. And if I'm not somewhere that I think I should be, I'm going to give myself a compassionate witnessing. One thing you might notice is that as you begin to witness yourself, remembering stories, seeing how they feel in your body, where you got locked up, and then as you feel them, make the decision to not live by that story anymore, is that you probably were walking around thinking you were one of the only people who had such a story, or that it was somehow unique to you. You were specifically and especially damaged. The benefit of doing the work in the collective is that once you see others tell their stories and you witness how it's held in them, not only are you learning about your particular experience of trauma and holding and patterning, but you're seeing that almost everything we experience is common to the human story and you're never alone. And in fact, the more you witness other people going into this feeling place and this processing place and are able to stay with it and not pull away, a universal code seems to come out. The way we pull into ourselves when we're afraid and how that shows up in the body, the way we look away and dissociate when something is overwhelming for our nervous system, it starts to show up on a repeat, uh, just like you know, a scanner looking for facial recognition. You start to see how certain emotional experiences show up in the body. And then people tell their stories and you hear how often they learned young 
uh, through chaotic family systems or abuse or isolation or confusion or lack of information, how to pervert their own inner architecture and hold themselves in order to survive. How often a broken family or divorce or an early death is, is present to an adult who never resolved it or wasn't met in that pain as a child. And you start to feel yourself as part of the fabric of humanity. That what was an isolating thing is now just a sign that you're part of the larger family and that has so much relief in it. So before I get into the one of the major topics for today, which is the disconnection from nature as a trauma that needs healing, I want to encourage you to believe that your own work in unraveling the stories that are held in your body and consciousness is the way forward to heal the world. It's not selfish. It's not navel-gazing. It's world-changing. So I want to talk a little bit today about our disconnection from nature as a foundational break in the truth of our reality and how that has resulted in quite a twisted up world. So I want you to go back and think about a time when you were a small child and you were playing outside. Did you ever have the feeling that you were just one with everything, with the sand and the wind and the trees and that there was no doubt in your body that you belonged, that you you could play in the snow totally unselfconsciously until your nose was snotty and your cheeks were magenta pink. Or I remember swimming until I was pruned in the fingers or making clover necklaces for hours and picking cherries and hunting earthworms in the rain and simply and happily being a part of it all. And then at some point, I think maybe kindergarten around the time that formal schooling began, Another message came into consciousness, for me at least, and it was that this natural belonging wasn't enough. And that continued throughout a culturation period that the message that there were more important things to do, usually some performative thing, like behaving well or getting good grades or excelling at sports. And, and for some of us, the message was that the acquisition of material items was more important than just being in the connected field. Don't you, like I do, when you look back, often find that your very best memories are of the more simple times of belonging with our friends or the animals or even in the trees. Like even today, I went out for a walk among these magnificent redwoods by the house, and it was the highlight of my day, just being with these amazing creatures, sentinels, standing there, being breathed by them. any case, back to the story, as the message comes in to our consciousness as that we have to be something more, a dissonance starts to arise. We want to be in the garden, but we're at the desk because we're told it matters more. We want to be moving our bodies freely and expansively, climbing and jumping and running, but we're sitting in a uniform waiting for our turn. And we comply 
in part because we want to belong, we want our parents to love us, maybe we want accolades, and we slowly learn to color our lives inside these lines, and we adapt to the world of separation from nature. There is a kind of intelligence in this tribe formation in becoming part of human culture, but it does come at a big cost that's showing up now in how we treat the planet. We become disenchanted and disconnected from nature and more entrained by the demands of a world that wants us on the school bus by 7 a.m. or later in life at our office desks by 8 with a couple of weeks of vacation a year. And I think that if we tap into it, that this disconnection from nature is a fundamental developmental trauma that we experience as individuals and we experience it in the field between us. Our natural belonging in the world as part of the world is replaced with separation and we are then immediately lost because we no longer trust that the earth will provide for us or that there is enough to go around we no longer believe that we are enough either. When we forget that we are nature, we cease to be enoughness. We cease to know ourselves as the part of the whole, part of the sacred interdependent collective whole. And then because we're now separate as individuals, the objectification of nature is something out there, along with the abstraction culture, of data about nature and imagery and an increasing lack of contact with the growing world can instill anxiety and fear of natural processes. Like disconnection from nature also alienates us from other natural processes, especially dying and death. You know, without a deep connection to an acceptance of death in nature, we will live in fear of dying ourselves, which then creates additional adaptations to avoid death which is kind of a waste of energy. So I think that that's the individual story, but that as a collective, our cumulative adaptations to this disconnection from experiencing ourselves as nature lead to very false beliefs of not having or being enough as a group and to the seemingly constant striving to be overlords of this planet. And this has led to cultures of consumerism and militarism, along with the accompanying planet-wide ecological disasters, which seem to be fundamentally driven by this alienation. We are not separate from the planet. What happens to the planet happens to us, and what we do to ourselves, we do to the planet. Now, if humans are perfectly designed to live as part of Earth's ecosystems, as my friend and teacher Mark Whitwell says, breathing the air and transmuting it, or drinking the water and peeing it out, or eating the fruits and defecating, nothing is wasted. We see that even our neurobiology is designed for belonging, that visuals of balanced landscapes light up our brain with abundance, and the sounds of the dawn chorus or a lapping ocean bring us peace. We belong as part of a system. We are supposed to be here, a needed element in nature. I want to give you an example here. Uh, in 2019, two scientists from the Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico shared their research on humanity's role in natural food webs 
and they found that they were stabilizing, not destructive forces. Humans, they say, are super generalist predators, and they fit into ecosystems without causing extinctions or major environmental degradation because they feed on more elements in an ecosystem and can keep what is abundant in check and stop it from overtaking other species. And even things like small human-tended fires preclude larger fires, and humans moving trees around, what they call herbaceous manipulation, is beneficial. It's only with the separation from ourselves as nature that we accelerate to a hyper-degradation of ecological systems, even to the point of ridiculously, it seems, destroying our own habitat. So when I look at separation from nature through the lens of the principles of collective trauma and healing that we talked about two episodes ago, and I apply the principles of inner rest, relational presence, and emergent restorative action, I can come to a prescriptive approach for reconnecting us, uh, if you'll indulge me. The first, if you remember back to that episode, the first principle was to rest in inner stillness or to be in witness consciousness, uh, where you're able to really like not be part of your personality layer. You, you, you don't identify so much with the emotions or the experience in the minute, but you know that you're part of a larger field, a part of something greater, which I believe is the heart of spirituality, that you know, spirit is the space between us and spirituality is the active practice of becoming aware of the space between us, and a spiritual life is acting from this awareness of the connective field that is between and through all of manifest reality. So when you know yourself as part of the field, as part of something greater, as a healing practice, you begin to concentrate on accepting the miracle of your own self as the natural seed of life, you contemplate on the daily that you have the right to be and merely by the fact that you are already alive, that life wanted you and you already belong. There is never not belonging. Just by living, you belong. Another step that we would take if we're in addition to resting in inner stillness and contemplating ourselves as the seed and the fruit and the progenitor, we then begin to treat ourselves with care. Thomas, the teacher that I mentioned before, talks about burning your own substance, that your burnout is the planet's burnout. So you cease to do that. And you start to love and care for your own embodiment with such a beauty and tenderness that it, it, it's, I, I'm, I, I'm even overtaken thinking about the transition between treating my embodiment like a workhorse that had to be flogged to continually do more to treating it with reverence and what a change that was in my life. And, oh, yeah, I wish that for everyone. And then the next thing that I would recommend after being in stillness and treating yourself with care is to find a human ally or allies. When Dr. Rupert Reed uh, writes, we are nature coming into an awareness of what we are doing to ourselves, we do that with others. And we enter with others into a relational space of presence, which means I'm sitting there feeling myself 
witnessing you, relating to you, feeling you, and agreeing that we might then together explore some questions. So here are some of the questions that you might want to look at in in examining whether your nature. The first one is, how does connection with nature or the web of life live in you? You might also ask, how does separation from nature live in you? Where does ecological disruption or climate change or even climate grief live in you? So it's not like getting into a mental story of these things, but more, where do you have that story in your body and what is it doing to the way you filter and process information? And then you might begin to find other things that naturally arise. Like when I started to do that practice, I found that a lot came up when I considered changing my story and living into a new story that If I did that, I would have to change my consumption habits, my behavior and travel. I'd have to change other patterns of the, what I wore and how I looked. And, and that made me afraid a little bit that I wouldn't belong if I changed all of those outward signifiers because I was still in the story of separation and not belonging. So many other questions naturally arose from becoming aware of those fundamental questions. So then, we found our allies, we're inquiring into questions, we're feeling with each other, and then you might begin the process together with your friends of relearning and feeling yourself as nature. Um, In the land on Hawaii uh, that my, in my intentional community there, a community that's committed to awakening, we agree to feel it all. Um, Joshua Hathaway, who's a person on the land there, says, all feelings are welcome here. And that's a powerful thing to feel as adults. You don't have to repress it or hold it back, but all feelings are welcome here. Eco-philosopher Joanna Macy writes this, The refusal to feel takes a heavy toll. Not only is there an impoverishment of our emotional and sensory life, but this psychic numbing also impedes our capacity to process and respond to information, depleting us, depleting the resilience and the imagination we need for refreshed visions and strategies. So when we sit together and we say we're going to feel it all, we will cultivate our inborn perceptual capacity to feel the web of life that has been numbed through that dissociation that told you it wasn't enough from a very young age. And to re-experience the wonder and awe of it, to listen with the entire body, to smell and, and sense and touch it, you find eventually that you can be outside in all kinds of weather. You eventually find you want to touch the ground and participate in growing something. One of my favorite current philosophers is Charles Eisenstein, who has uh, written on sacred economics. He's written a lovely work on the more beautiful world that we know is possible. And 
one thing he said a couple of years ago uh, at a meeting was, if you want to heal the planet, just find a piece of land and love it. Find a piece of land and love it. Because paying attention is love. If you meet and know the trees and the plants on your very own familiar patch of land, or if you don't have a personal patch, you love a park, you love a public space or a wild space, it's not about owning a piece of land and loving it. It's about finding it and then bringing your full presence, attention, and communion to the experience of that land. With that, you get to the next stage where you personally can embody the re-enchantment of the world, where you can find the magic and the reverence that reweaves our essential beingness as part of the magic of existence on earth. Science and mystery in this sense are not in competition or conflict. We know that some of the most profoundly spiritual people on the earth are scientists because when you get down into the details of the way life is built, it is such a miracle that you can do nothing but humble yourself at the marvel of the systems that collaborate, co-create to make it all function. So I believe this to be true, that when we do reconnect with our fundamental belonging as nature, when we can feel the field between us, all around us and through us, feel it in the air that we're breathing, in the food that we're eating, We can feel it through our own tissues. And when we are once again able to be the spray of the sea and the ice on the pond, be the sun-warmed wind and the ripe pear dripping down our jaws like we were when we were children, then we can heal the trauma of our developmental severance from nature. And from this reconnection, we will have a greater collective and naturally emergent commitment to restoring both our human and our planetary ecologies. So as I move into sort of the closing component of this episode, I want to speak again to the idea of spirituality And I'm not talking religion and dogma. Spirit, breath, the ephemeral, the invisible, the in-between, energy, the stuff of life itself, the energy that goes through everything, the intangible field, whatever you call it, love, chi, prana, light, there are many ways to describe it, but none approach the magnificence of experiencing it and That's also how it is with spirituality because we know spirituality isn't a bunch of crystals and burning sage, although those can be beautiful. We know it's not ceremony, although ceremony can help us to get into a receptive state of mind to perceive the space between. We know it's not a monk's robe or a yoga costume, although those can be value signifiers to other like-minded people not to mention being super cool looking. No, it's really, it's much, much simpler. 
that spirituality is the awareness of spirit. It's the awareness of the deep interconnectedness of all life and matter. And that this awareness extends beyond people and plants and animals and material reality, or, you know, the stuff that you knock on wood and you're feeling, to the energetic field in which each of us rests. This energetic field that is we're acting on all the time with whatever we think and do in the world with, ever, with whatever we put into motion, and which in turn is acting on each of us. Like the field of a room, how the other people in the room are behaving, how the weather is moving, things in a house, that's acting on you. The news, it's acting on you at the same time. The field between is acting on us all the time. And so now we have spirit and spirituality, and then we have spiritual practices. And what that is, is the things we can do to help us cultivate this sense of connection and unity. I mentioned some of it in the context of collective healing from trauma two episodes ago, some of it last episode, and even in this episode on the, on the nature piece, there are practices like sitting quietly and observing your thoughts or practicing gratitude and appreciation, or I do this thing with my family called the supply chain prayer, where we take one item on the table and we notice how many hands it took to get it to our table, how many people had to touch it to make that thing happen. Uh, Another practice might be breathing consciously, uh, making music alone or with other people that is a devotional music or just a chance to join your voices. Some people find a cultivation of connection in dancing or making love or cooking and eating together when it's done with the intention of feeling connected, not of performing. Anytime you bring people together to make community is a practice of growing connection. And, you know, when you take it out into the big world, it's also if you notice where there has been a disconnection and exclusion that's resulted in injustice and you go to work to bring that into alignment, you'll find that most activities can be, by this definition, a spiritual practice whenever they are done with the intent of expanding our awareness of interconnection. You can also get to this sense of the connected feel through a state of grace, which is another way of saying a spontaneous spiritual awakening or spiritual experience, you know, a moment in which you perceived yourself to be part of the infinite indivisible light as it comes through you, lives as you, surrounds you, and everything else in space-time. You know, most of these experiences that people have, a lot of people don't even know what's happening to them. Um, They might be out in nature, you know, feeling the wind on their face, and all of a sudden, boom, everything becomes exceptionally bright and light, and you have a a moment where you feel one with everything— And and many people report not ever telling anyone else about it. If that has happened to you, that is a glimpse into the underlying nature of reality. And it is a total blessing. You can also cultivate those experiences, like I said above, through breathwork and meditation and sex, as well as the use of certain entheogens, uh, certain medicines that can trigger it. Although that's very controversial in some circles because they talk about it as borrowing the light that you're not really ready to feel yet. And then in some traditions, awakening can also be passed or transmitted from one person to another through touch or other kinds of transmission called Shaktipat in the Indian tradition. But whether it's practices or spontaneous awakening, 
when we become aware of the interconnected field, we still face the very human task of internalizing the awareness and then living from it. And that's why we need the trauma work. Because you can only go so far when you're pulled to the light from an idea or you're pulled to the light from an experience of it and you haven't gone through the body that holds all the trauma. You haven't learned how to feel, how to resolve conflicts, and how not to copy-paste, as Thomas says, the past into the present and then the present into the future. So when you get into the spiritual life where we cultivate and act from this awareness, where we do these practices, it's super important, especially when the ego wants to deny the unity to maintain its separation and its protective mechanisms. Because a grounded spirituality resolves conflicts, feels feelings, stays present for all of the world. It stays present in absencing. It stays present in avoidance. It, it tries to witness it all. And just like in the collective healing conversations we've been having, it's not a solo endeavor. You going off in a cave might be one step you need to take, but eventually a social spirituality will combine the best of our personal practices and collective change. I, I mean, I love my meditation practice, but it's missing the communal holding of each other, the engagement that we have, the, the tribal engagement that we have, the social engagement systems, and the amplification of our practice that comes when we do it with others and gives it more power and resonance. So a social spirituality or a social healing is a way to gather and support each other in this growing awareness of interconnection, to heal our trauma, to learn how to notice when we're getting triggered, and to support each other's practice and presence through all of the stages of human life. I'm not talking about a dominance hierarchy, about a religious imposition of dogma. I'm not talking about that at all. What I'm talking about is how we, as willing participants, can keep each other accountable to truth-telling and inquiry. Whole societies will be remade with these principles. If you want some evidence that spiritual practices are working, that you're beginning to live with a greater sense of being grounded into the earth and connected to the larger field, what shows up as wounds of separation will begin to lift individually and collectively in your family, in the community, in the world. And this includes declines in fear and loneliness, declines in resentment and worry, and increases in compassion, empathy, generosity, a better quantity and quality of your friendships, easier collaboration with others, easier resolution of conflict. You might even find an increase in your agency, that you are a creative force. The atomic creative force is running through you and a concurrent decrease in victim consciousness, a more peaceful heart, an expansion in self-acceptance, you, that natural seed of life, 
which comes with an understanding that there is nothing in you to fix or to flog, an awareness that the mere fact of breathing and being alive is miracle enough. You might find an abutting knowledge that you have intrinsic worth, that the only thing you will ever need to be or do is to be yourself and enjoy your life. Now look, these are this is a really beautiful list. Living from awareness of spirit isn't the only thing that can produce many of these results. Some of them you can get from psychotherapy or drugs or exercise or personal reflection. But I would say after the 30 years I've been at these questions, it's the only set of practices that I can point to that produces all of these results. And, you know, we're facing a lot of challenges to our survival and thriving on earth, not the least of which is the violence we do to one another that comes from this incredible separation, uh, thinking that we can hurt someone without hurting ourselves or without hurting our descendants. I'll just insert a little note here that, you know, those peak Nazis, a lot of their grandchildren voluntarily sterilized themselves to not, not pass on the genes of those terrorizers. And suicides and murders of grandchildren of Nazis are happen at a higher rate. It's like not only can you not harm someone without hurting your own spirit and shutting your own self down and numbing out and dissociating in some way, but, you know, it's going to impact your whole line. So anyway, the violence we do to one another. Or another challenge is the way we've degraded the planet and overextended its capacity to process our many forms of waste and off-gassing. This is also a wound of separation. I believe that a life grounded in spiritual awareness is our medicine, coupled with healing the individual and collective traumas that are continually being copied and pasted from the past into the present, and that we are here to support each other in that. It's careful work and it's precise work that we need to slow down and create space for. A lot of us don't find that space until midlife, like you either have a period when you're very young before you get sort of caught up in family and career, or you find a space when you're older and you have a little bit more time to reflect on your life. But the earlier, the better to lose this entrainment into separation and to know that the memories that you have, the non-data memories, which are called explicit memories, but the implicit memories, the ones that are emotional responses and body sensations that still live in us, can be felt and witnessed in a way to create a future that's just plain more enjoyable. Oh, well, that's a lot. I went over, and for a solo episode to go over, I hope you're still with me and that you found something useful in here. If you're interested in this work, I'm going to leave a bunch of things in the show notes on further reading, on workshops you can take. Uh, you could even come out and visit the farm 
where people are attempting to live feeling fully with one another, communicating clearly, experiencing themselves as nature, living in harmony with the earth, come out for a couple of weeks and then see what you can carry back into your regular life. But wherever you are, I know that we can provide some guidance and resources to point you to so that you can lift a little bit of any remaining taboos, shames, isolations in order to stand in greater peace and power in the world. There you have it. 40 minutes on trauma and spirituality and whatnot, but hopefully you found something good. And if you did and you love this episode and you know someone who might like some of these ideas, then please do me a favor and pause right now and just text one friend the link to this show. This is my last solo episode for a while. Uh, Next session, we're returning to a series of interviews. I have some great things coming up from grandparenting families, grandfamilies to the new step parenting to the right to grow old to what it's like to be a young woman today making the decision about freezing her eggs and I mean it's a it's such a wide variety of phenomenal guests I know you're going to enjoy them so subscribe so you don't miss any of their genius thanks come see me rosewoman.com or the dot rose dot woman on Instagram or for my company, the one that makes all those beautiful products you love, Rosebud Woman on Instagram. I'm looking forward to meeting you.